Welcome to another episode of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Uh, I am Pastor Ken Jones from Glendale Baptist Church here in Miami, Florida, and I am joined by David Menendez, who is the pastor of Tamiami Baptist Church. For this particular program, we are without two of our regular co-hosts, and that would be Pastor Aldo Leon from the Reconciled Church and Pastor Jose Prado from Christ Family Church. Uh, we are four local pastors here in the Miami area who happen to be committed to as well as enthralled by the riches of reformational theology. And we come together at this time every week to talk about various aspects of Reformed theology. Now today we have, uh, as a matter of fact, in this program as well as in the one that will follow, we have a very special uh, guest on occasion. We do do interviews. We've had um, Pastor or, or Doctor David Wells and Michael Horton and Kim Riddlebarger, all of the White Horse Inn crew actually. And today we are especially honored to have as our special guest uh, Brother Chris Larson. Chris is the executive or the CEO of Legionnaire Ministries, which has meant a great deal to me over the years. So welcome aboard, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's so good to be with you today, Ken. So appreciate your ministry and uh, glad to have this opportunity to talk about the Lord's work. Well, Chris, what we want to do first is... um, as as we've mentioned, um, you know, we, we've interacted over the years in a number of capacities, but as we've mentioned a few months ago, obviously, we're still saddened by the recent loss of Dr. R.C. Sproul, who has had a tremendous impact on many of us uh, over the years in terms of unpacking uh, reformational theology. And you are now the CEO of Legionnaire Ministries, is that correct? Yes, I've served in this executive uh, management role for the better part of about the last nine years. Okay. Um, of course, the, the titles change uh, over time, but um, just managing day-to-day operations for the Ministry of Outreach, and uh, I've just been uh, struck by uh, the Lord's blessing of uh, this has just been a privilege of a lifetime to be able to serve Dr. Sproul, and um, obviously knowing that uh, he was not going to to stay here on uh, Earth forever, as he'd like to talk about, he was going to have a change of address at Mm. some point, and um, planning for the future uh, has been a big part uh, Mm. since I came to Ligonier in 2004. Um, Now, you mentioned you you came in 2004. First off, kind of give us your, your journey. Have you all, did you grow up? in a Reformational-themed church or a Reformed confessional church, and how did you get involved with Legionnaire Ministries? So I grew up in Virginia in a very nominal Baptist uh, setting. Uh, I was not converted, though we were faithful at church, uh, walked an aisle, was baptized, uh, made a profession of faith, uh, but it was evident from my lifestyle in my teens uh, that I did not know the Lord. I was walking in unbelief. Um, and uh, the Lord and His providence um, transferred my dad, who had worked for NASA in Virginia, down to work for NASA in Florida. And that was right in the middle of high school, a uh, very formative time, disruptive time in my life. Um, but the Lord uh, was kind in putting me into contact with 
faithful Christian brothers and sisters uh, who were part of a vibrant Southern Baptist church in Rhode Island, Florida. And I saw that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ that I did not have. Mm. And um, it was through their faithful witness and the preaching and teaching of the gospel that I repented for my sins um, in my junior year of high school. And uh, really, pretty soon thereafter, just realized that the church was my home Hmm. and uh, became very involved in volunteer service um, in various capacities, serving in the student ministry and and all the different aspects of uh, really at that time what we would have considered to be a uh, contemporary church, uh, seeker-sensitive church model, uh, very much um, engaged in um, a uh, more growth-oriented posture. Uh, Were the uh, doctrines of grace emphasized there? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was much more of a performance-oriented situation. Um, And later on, I would come to understand what was happening with uh, some church growth uh, theories coming Mm -hmm. out of the 80s. Uh, and even there in the early 90s, things that were in vogue. Um, of course, I wouldn't have been able to articulate any of that uh, to anyone at that time. But what I'm thankful for is that they held up uh, the gospel as well as the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God, and I'm profoundly thankful uh, for those formative years. But it was in that time that I was discipled by this, this gentleman who, uh, at that time, I really didn't know... Um, what he was studying, but I knew that he could teach the Word of God, and he could communicate kind of the whole counsel of God in a systematic fashion. And I came to learn that he was studying under some theologian over here in Orlando uh, with the last name of Sproul. I didn't didn't know who this Sproul was. Um, and, And then eventually I found out, you know, that's not how you pronounce his name. His name's R.C. Sproul. Right. And uh, so he was a student of Dr. Sproul's, and he was in the Southern Baptist Church kind of discipling young men um, in the faith. And from an early time after my conversion, just knew that I wanted to serve the church in a full-time capacity. I didn't know what that would look like necessarily, whether I was preaching and teaching or in some other capacity. But uh, that really was the seed uh, to help me to understand the character of God, who God was. Hmm. And where did my friend take me but to Genesis 15 and Hmm. God's covenant with Abram? Okay. And... I was, of course, a high school student and then graduating high school and college student, and all these questions about what's God's will for my life, right? And that's just a very common question. What am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? You know, all those questions that we go through uh, at that age and stage of life. And he tried to calm my anxiety by taking me to Scripture and helping me to understand, really, the character of God. Mm -hmm. And he took me to God's covenant with Abram, and he showed me from Genesis 15, and particularly Genesis 15, 17, where God makes this covenant with Abram and guarantees both sides of the covenant. He calls Mm -hmm. Abram to walk before him and be blameless. But then he goes on to show Abram that he was going to follow through on this covenant and guarantee both sides of the covenant. In other words, it wasn't dependent upon Abram's performance. Hmm. 
it was dependent upon the promise of God. And, and God's promise was something that could not uh, change. God could not lie. Hmm. And so that really set me off on this idea of God's character and the holiness of God informing who he was, and that then informing all of our understanding of the Bible and theology, as well as how it relates to our personal life. So that's kind of a very quick summary mm-hmm. of what set my theological paradigm uh, and then put me into a different trajectory to where I would eventually leave the more seeker-sensitive uh, church growth model because I really became convinced of the ordinary means of grace mm-hmm. and the preaching and teaching of God's Word as how God built His church. You didn't need uh, clever marketing and advertising techniques. You didn't need to have just the right band and just the right light show and just the right drama team right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to bring people into the church. Uh, the gospel was sufficient and is sufficient to build the church, and that's God's plan A, is the local church. And, now, uh, uh, having come to that knowledge, um, what now, did you attend the Legionnaire Academy, or was this, this was prior to the Academy, wasn't it? Oh, this is, this is back in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is a long time ago. So I just became a, a regular Legionnaire student, uh, you know, reading table talk, uh, attending Legionnaire conferences. Um, my wife and I uh, would come and visit uh, Orlando for the Legionnaire conference, and uh, we actually lived in South Florida at the time, and uh, went to a Ligonier conference down at Coral Ridge in oh. Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Um, so, you know, we were just taking uh, Ligonier courses, and I yeah. actually attended uh, some classes that Dr. Sproul taught back in the 90s at Knox Theological Seminary. Okay. And uh, really enjoyed those times there, uh, being able to study directly with him. So I was just a student and uh, working in the corporate world, um, and uh, thought that I would go on to seminary uh, because my elders encouraged me. I had moved on into a PCA church at that point. And they okay, so you did transition me. from Southern Baptist to seeker-sensitive to the PCA church. That's right. Okay. That's right. And I began teaching there in the adult Sunday school class at a PCA church in South Florida, and uh, the elders encouraged me to consider seminary. Uh, at least to test that sense of calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that it was going ahead and moving uh, to Greenville, uh, to attend Greenville Presbyterian Seminary. Was that, this before uh, or after Joey Piper? Uh, this is just after Dr. Piper came. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, Dr. Piper still is a very dear friend, and I'm so thankful for him and for my time there. And I ended up um, really kind of going in a different direction. I, I did take classes at the seminary, but uh, an opportunity came to be the administrator of the seminary and using my corporate background um, in management and marketing and communications. Um, became uh, the administrator there at the seminary, and that's really where I think my calling became most defined because Mm. I felt that I didn't need to be in the pulpit every week. I didn't have that sense of internal Mm. call, uh, but I loved serving men who were training for the ministry. Right. 
and I loved being there to lift them up. And so I kind of thought I would just retire. Um, <laughs> I'd work 45 years or so and sure. retire from serving at the seminary. Um, and all along, it still was uh, very thankful for Ligonier Ministries and Dr. Sproul's work. Um, but Dr. Sproul was really a gateway into a world that I didn't know existed. So um, you, you said you, you became, uh, you, well, you joined the staff in 2004. And it's interesting because you mentioned uh, attending conferences in the early 90s. And boy, that's around the same time I started attending Legionnaire conferences. I think I attended my first one in San Diego in 90 or 91. And I also attended my first national conference in 92 with Eric Alexander preaching on the greatness of God. Um, but what brought you, what brought you on board uh, on, on staff there? Ligonier was getting ready to relaunch the Reformation Study Bible in the ESV version mm-hmm. uh, of the Scriptures, and that was uh, 2004, and then they released it in 2005. And so they just needed some additional help in getting that project off the ground, and so I came on board to kind of steward that, and and I just saw an opportunity uh, to kind of come back and kind of give back. And so I had lived here in Orlando for a number of years, went to University of Central Florida and um, met and married my wife, uh, who was also from Orlando, but we never thought we'd be back to Orlando. Mm. Um, So we moved back in 04, uh, really with that sense of call to come and serve um, this ministry that had made such an impact in our life. And so we've just been so thankful that the Lord uh, brought us to serve here. And uh, what a privilege of a lifetime it's been. Now, let's talk about the uh, Reformation Study Bible. I remember when the first one came out, was it around 2000 or 98 or something like that? And that was with was, the New King James. Yeah, that's right. That was actually the mid-90s. Oh, okay. Um, you know, orig- originally published uh, by Thomas Nelson as the New Geneva Study Bible. Right, and that was the one where James Boyce was the general editor, and R.C. Uh, R- he and R.C. were general editors? R.C. was a general editor, but James Boyce was part of that uh, group of close editors okay. that helped to steer that entire project. Okay, so talk about that that Bible, which, by the way, I have um, I had the privilege of writing an endorsement for the ESV uh, translation, but I have recommended that Bible to so many people, and especially for the notes. Would you tell us about the study notes that are part of uh, what was at first the Geneva Study Bible, and now it has been renamed the Reformation Study Bible? So this is a dream team of biblical and theological scholars uh, who are gifted in various uh, disciplines of biblical studies, linguistic studies, and uh, R.C. put together just an absolutely uh, marvelous uh, cast of trusted teachers for that first edition of the Study Bible. Um, and it really just took off and uh, was a gateway for a lot of people into understanding uh, the contours of Reformed theology. 
And then as time goes on and additional biblical research and study and archaeological evidence uh, come to the forefront, there's just been an explosion of good exegetical work that's happened over the past uh, 20, 25 years. And so the ministry saw an opportunity to completely refresh the notes. And so mm. around 2010, uh, we began the project of assembling a new group of scholars and reviewers and editors uh, to reissue the Reformation Study Bible. Um, and we, we grew the notes, um, and it's a substantial theological resource. So 2015, that relaunched uh, in the ESV. 2016, we launched it again in the New King James Version. And just recently, we came out with a condensed edition, uh, which is really good for folks who want a travel Bible uh, or for students and things like that as they're just getting their feet wet. But we included the creeds and confessions. Yes. Uh, we included some, some articles um, that, that are helpful for people to try and dive a little bit deeper in their study. Uh, I'm not aware of another study Bible that has uh, the Westminster Standards, the London Baptist Confession, yeah. as well as the three forms of unity, yeah. and tries to provide that theological consensus uh, study resource. No, that's um, that thing is, is rich, and it's, yeah. it's a ready resource. Right. I, I love that. Mm. Now, who are some of the contributors to the articles? I know some of the editors... Um, and like you said, you you guys have included some of the best uh, biblical scholars around. Uh, I know Dennis Johnson has contributed, and and several others. But who are some of the the, the authors of those of those articles in those gray boxes? Well, of course, we have our Ligonier Teaching Fellows who've uh, contributed uh, many in many different places. So, Dr. Albert Muller, Dr. Stephen. Lawson, Dr. Stephen Nichols, Burke Parsons, Derek Thomas, Sinclair Ferguson, and uh, Robert Godfrey as well. Uh, they uh, all have their, their fingerprints over it, and they're just such an important part of our team. But also we have Desmond Alexander, we have Michael Horton, of course, um, we have Mark Ross, uh, Robert Yarborough, um, it's it's kind of a who's who list. Guy Waters, Greg mm. Beal, Dennis Johnson. You already mentioned him. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's 75 folks here. I would just point folks to uh, ReformationStudyBible.com, okay. and you can see a full list of all the contributors uh, to that work. Yeah, and it's it's so helpful, and and especially when you consider the impact that uh, the Schofield Study Bible had. Uh, you know, with, with people reading the notes, I, I remember the first time I was confronted about my Schofield Bible, I was a freshman in college, and I had a biblical studies class, and on the first day, the professor says, uh, does anyone have a Schofield Bible? If, if you do, hold it up, and I held up my Schofield Bible proudly, and he says, okay, this will be the last day it will be allowed in this class. If I see it, then you will be marked down in your grade. So right after class, I go to his office, and I ask him, I say, um, well, Dr. Um, Tyler, you know, uh, what's the problem with the Schofield Bible? And he looked up from his, his desk. He says, Mr. Jones, how many dispensations are there? I said, seven. He said, if it weren't for the Schofield Study Bible, you wouldn't know that. <laughs> 
so that's that's, that's <laughs> so funny and and also sad at yeah. the same time. Yeah. And Dr. Sproul tells that story of the impact of the Schofield Bible uh, for a lot of the reasons for driving this project forward and seeing it, uh, the Reformation Study Bible, now get into all the nooks and crannies of the Church. Mm-hmm. This is why we've partnered with the Rosemary Jensen Bible Foundation to take the Reformation Study Bible to Africa. Yes. Uh, we, we've seen over there that this type of a resource is something that they would never, ever be able to afford. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a month's wage for them to buy something like this. A month. Well, you know, that, I was there actually nothing. when we distributed. We distributed in Malawi first, and then we did another giveaway. I think it was in Nigeria or Uganda. But when we did it for um, Malawi, you had ministers that were riding their bicycles and walking from miles away because we gave away uh, the Reformation Study Bible and uh, James, uh, James Boyce's um, foundations, uh, fa- uh, Christian foundations. And, and like you said, it was the, the, the Bible itself was worth, uh, boy, it was probably more valuable than most of the pastors had uh, in anything else in their library. It was, you know, a month or two months wages uh, just for that Bible. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely made an impact. Uh, so RC, RC mm-hmm. even, um, we, we were talking about this project uh, last summer because we just launched um, a big effort last fall. And uh, at that time, uh, we said, okay, RC, we're going to try and get 40,000 Reformation Study Bibles to Africa over the next 10 years. And he's like, why so few and why is it going to take so long? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he just has had that vision of serving the global church. And, and you know, we're, we're here as a resource ministry, and we've got so many generous and visionary donors. And we, we basically cast the project to them last fall. Mm. Here's what we're trying to do. Um, and then with our partnership with Rosemary Jensen and her Bible Foundation, just last fall we shipped 8,500 uh, Reformation Study Bibles over there to Africa. And there's a shipment on the Atlantic right now with another 3,000. So we're well on our way, and we met our funding goal. Mm. I think it was a, about a $400,000 project, and we, we cast the vision for our donors to support it. Uh, and this is what they love to see happen through Ligonier, mm. uh, where we're finding opportunities for faithful, reformed instruction to serve the global church, and people just line up, and they're ready to go and to support it and to see uh, the our brothers and sisters in Christ served well. Amen. Um, and, and if we have something to share, uh, we are not hoarding it. We are here to serve the church as a discipleship uh, resourcing ministry. Well, in, in our last few minutes here, uh, Chris, you mentioned something, and I know I said it at the top, that for a lot of evangelicals, as y- yourself being an example of this, Ligonier has been a gateway into the riches of of reformed theology for you 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 mentioned it was discovering the holiness of god and the faithfulness of god and fulfilling both sides of that covenant in genesis 15 
Why do you think that has been the case? What, and, and we'll talk about it in more detail in our next uh, session. But, but could you give us just a couple minutes as to why you think Ligonier has been an, an accessible gateway into Reformed theology? Uh, I think that we live in a time where in the 20th and 21st centuries that we've seen a pragmatic view of Christian ministry take hold, um, where people are um, being served uh, just straight felt needs ministry. Um, Needs are real, and they can be truly felt, but that cannot be our driving paradigm in terms of serving um, this generation. I think when people stumble into... The, the riches of the Reformed tradition, which is really shorthand for saying the, the historic Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing novel about what Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and the other band of magisterial reformers did there in the 16th century. Uh, they were, in one sense, understanding their work as recovery of the gospel and really taking the Church back to its roots. And so... We're a simple, historic Christian ministry where we're just trying to point people to a long line of faithful gospel preachers and teachers uh, throughout church history, and then bring that forward Hmm. in our contemporary context. And so I think people start to recognize that they don't know who God is. And as soon as they start to understand who God is, then they understand who they are. You know, mm. that, the question of identity in our culture today, this is the burning question. Mm. Who am I? Amen. That's really the wrong place to start. The yeah. right question is to say, who is God? Mm. And in light of that, who am I? Yeah. And so again, it, it does go back to the holiness of God, and that's why it's such a seminal idea, <sighs> that Isaiah 6 flashpoint. Yeah. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees God for who he is. And at that moment, Isaiah realizes who he is and his sinfulness. Yeah. And then what does the Lord do? He provides atonement. Amen. And then what does he graciously do? He sends Isaiah yeah. on mission. Yeah. Well, and, and that, in a nutshell, is the message that is so needed. It's life-giving. It's wow. life-transforming. Well, that's great. And that's a good place to tie this first session up. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. We look forward to picking this conversation up in our next session. Uh, This has been Saints and Sinners Unplugged. We look forward to being with you again next week.